hope you have a copy of the Word of God. If you don't, as you come in, maybe next time you can grab one on the way in. That's why we have them. You say, why is that a big deal? Because it's your Bible. And when I open the Word of God, it's not my words that matter. It's God's Word. And so when you leave here and you go and you read your Bible systematically, whatever your schedule is, then you can see where you have written a note or made a mark or remember the message that God used to perhaps set your life in a better or different direction. And that's the whole point of it. It's important to have the word of God with us. So First Samuel chapter 2, if you have a copy of the word of God, and if you would, please, out of respect for it, let's all stand together for reading a few verses. Now, last week I preached a message on Hannah about a godly mother, and uh, I talked to some people this week, and I had one lady say, well, I'm not a, actually a mother. I never had children. And I said, that's okay. The message is, is more than just for moms. It's about the Christian life. And so if you didn't hear last week's message and you want to get a little better context of today's message, then certainly I would encourage you to go to our website and find that and then listen to it. Today, I'm going to talk about a tale of two families. Now, I thought about, and actually the original message that I wrote was about the jerk, Eli. And I thought about titling that because he was a jerk of a dad. And I I just don't like the way that he raised his kids because the way that they came out and the things that he did and said, the scriptures just lend him to be uh, kind of a a guy I I wouldn't want to hang around. And uh, I will tell you as a parent that has grown kids and still has have kids at home that you only have one shot. It's all you get one shot. And how you take the opportunity that God gives you in those 18 to 20 years or so uh, is going to bear fruit one way or the other in the next 20 years or so. And to me, that's scary. As a father, that's scary. Because I know me. And I know what I could have done better. Anybody else in that boat? I know what else I could have done better. And so when I read these passages, they're very sobering to me as a dad. And so today I want to preach a message, a tale of two families And I want to begin reading in chapter 2 and verse uh, 11. And the Bible says, And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child, that is Samuel, did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Now let that seek in just for a minute. Eli is the priest. He's the high priest. And his own sons weren't saved. His own sons served in the ministry, and the Bible says that they knew not the Lord. They were sons of Belial. Those are people who are unsaved, people who are against God. So they were going through the motions. They knew not the Lord. Verse 13, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant uh, came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. That is when it was being boiled and he struck into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot all that the flesh hook brought up the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the uh, unto all the Israelites that came thither. Verse 15 also before the burnt uh, before they burnt the fat another process of sacrifice the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed Give flesh to roast for the press uh, for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. He wanted to be able to now watch cook it the way he liked it. Okay, not get whatever God had for him. He wanted to have it his way. Could we say it like this? Not God's way. Okay, so there was a prescribed method to come to God to take the sacrifice. God was going to take care of the priest, the servant of God. 
And the priest got to the point where he didn't want it that way anymore. He wanted it the Burger King way. You can have it your own way. So the Bible says in verse 16, And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Can you imagine this? People, by the way, are voluntarily coming. People voluntarily are giving sacrifice to the Lord. And he's saying, look, if you don't do it the way I'm telling you, I'm going to do it the way I want to. This is the, this is the servant of the priests. Verse 17, wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. They hated it. They hated coming. They knew what was going to happen. They knew what was wrong. They did it. And they didn't even want to do it anymore. But Samuel, contrastingly, ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat, brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, the Lord give thee seed, the, the seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own home, home and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, like some of us. And heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. Now, that means somehow he was aware of it. And I don't think it was just by hearsay. I think he witnessed it. Okay, because of who he was. And how they lay the women, I'm sorry, how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of a congregation. And he said unto them, why do you, why do you such things? For I hear of your evil doing, dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it's not good. It's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would, what? Slay them. And the child Samuel, here it is again, grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And there came a man of God unto Eli. And said unto him, Thus say the Lord, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer up mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by the fire, made by fire of the children of Israel? Did I not provide this way for you? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I've commanded in my habitation and honorest thy sons above me. To make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all offerings of Israel, of uh, offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me for them that honor me, I will honor and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house that there shall not be an old man in thine house. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation and all the wealth which God shall give Israel. And there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. The man of thine, uh, and the man of thine whom I shall cut off from mine altar shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart. And all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni and Phineas, in one day they shall die, both of them. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart 
and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the word of God. And as we open it today, we pray that you'd bless it. I pray that you would give me wisdom to preach it. In fact, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would help me to get out of your way and not be in hindrance to what you would have said today. Help me just to be a vessel in your mouthpiece. I pray, God, that as your people, you would give us understanding of your word. And then, Lord, I pray that as we leave here, you give us wisdom to apply it. Thank you again for these that have decided to come today. I pray that you would bless that decision of faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing so long. You may be seated. You know, one of the snares of Satan is to get us to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And according to the Bible, when we do that in any way, shape, or form, in whatever fashion that uh, comes about, the Bible says that we become fools for doing that, thinking that we can look at someone else and either draw a standard or think either better or worse of ourselves. It's not good. We think foolish thoughts when that happens, when we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. We say foolish things, and then we feel miserable in comparison to someone else. One of the worst things a Christian can do is to compare their family to another's family and look at their children and compare children or look at spouses and compare spouses. There's always, there always seems to be a family who appears to have it all together, doesn't it? There always seems to be somebody that's doing a little bit better than you in light of the very fact that the time that you're living in may be the time where everything seems to be falling apart. And so it's not good for us to do that. If you're not careful going along those lines, you can get caught up in what is, is known as the Chisholm effect which was an article published way back in 1969 by a man by the name of uh, Dr. Francis Chisholm, and it's called The Basic Laws of Frustration, and they go like this. Basically, there's three laws. The first law of human interaction goes like this. If anything can go wrong, it will. All right. Now, the corollary to that, or what I would like to say is Satan's inference of that, is this. If anything just can't go wrong, it will anyway. The second law says this. When things are going well, something will go wrong. There's two corollaries to this. When things just can't get any worse, they will get worse. Another one is anytime things appear to be going better, then you've obviously just overlooked something. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been around some people like that. They're just Debbie Downers all the time. I just, I know something's wrong. Here's the third law. Purposes as understood by the purposer will be judged otherwise by everyone else. Okay. In other words, my motive and the purpose that I'm living by will always be judged by someone else. Here's the corollary. If you explain so clearly that nobody can misunderstand, then somebody will inevitably misunderstand you. Here's another one. If you do something which you are sure will meet with everybody's approval, somebody won't like it. In other words, you can't please everybody all the time. The third corollary is this. Procedures devised to implement the purpose are not going to work. So number four, no matter how long or how many times you explain, no one is really listening anyway. Okay? By the way, sometimes preachers feel like that. They feel like they preach and preach and nobody's listening anyway. Now, here's the idea. The idea is basically I can talk myself into things being way worse than what they are. Vice versa, I can actually talk myself into things being really way better than what they really are, all by comparison, comparing with somebody else. When you catch yourself in this train of thought, you need to remember where the origin comes from. It's from Satan. You need to remember that this, 
That, that kind of wisdom is fleshly and carnal and is set on fire from the pit of hell, according to James chapter 1 and 2. You see, he wants you to ride that kind of train of doubt, of things will inevitably go wrong. He wants you to ride that train until your faith completely fails altogether. He wants you to ride that train until your life falls away from God. Now, fortunately for us in our text, we don't have to compare families because God's the one that's doing it. When you look at this passage, if you just read it enough, you'll, you'll see very clearly that when God points out one thing wrong with the sons of Eli, that he always points to one thing right with Samuel, the son of Elkanah and Hannah. You, you, you see how Eli is, and then you hear about how God's blessed uh, Hannah, and, and it goes back and forth. And so really it is a tale of two families. The narrative of the life of Samuel is what we're reading, and we get the benefit of learning from both families, of seeing, look, this is what Eli did, and because of that, this is what his sons were doing. And the idea is Eli did it for so long that his sons just completely went away from God altogether, decided that they didn't need Adonai anymore. They didn't need the sacrifice. They still wanted to do things their own way. So as we compare these two families, I believe the Lord will use his word to help us in our own Christian rock, uh, walk. Now, the cool thing is, even if I'm not a father and I'm sitting here this morning, I can look at this and say, okay, and I believe that the Holy Spirit will help me as an individual say, all right, here's the principle about, and then he'll give the principle, and then by the grace of God, he'll teach us all to apply it. How many believe that's the way the Holy Spirit works? Because the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth according to the word of God, and he reminds us all things that Jesus taught us in his word. So let's, let's look at these two families this morning. First of all, let's just think about the commonalities that they have. Let, let's look at how they're tracking, at least on the surface, uh, 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 the same way. First of all, both families were raised in or around religion. Both families. Elkanah is a priest, uh, is a Levite. And though he's not serving at the temple, he still understands ministry. In fact, he's around uh, the tabernacle in Shiloh all the time. And so is Eli. And so was his sons. When the doors of the church were open, they were there. They knew what prayer was. They knew, both families knew uh, what it was supposed to be. Uh, they were familiar with the term, Lord of, the Lord of hosts. Both families understood who Jehovah was, who Adonai was, who El Shaddai was. Both of them knew what the law of God was. They all knew what the law of God was. So they were raised in a religious environment. Secondly, uh, they were all present when it was required. The Bible talks about the males being presented to God three times a year. And we read last week how Elkanah every year went up. In fact, his family decided to go with them and he was there every year. In fact, the passage that we read uh, here today said in verse 21 that every year, year by year, uh, uh, Hannah got to bring a new uh, set of clothes to uh, Samuel and she dressed him every year. Okay. And I'm sure she did what every good mom did and uh, bought him some tough skins and made sure they were a size or two bigger. So he just fold them up. And then as he would grow that year and, and, and he would be hooked up for the year. So we know that when it was required of them to be there, that all of them were there. We know that for Eli because they were, he was the priest. So they lived there and lived close by. All right. Number three, both sets of parents were, had good intentions. There were good meaning parents, all right? Both parents were good meaning. You say, how do you know that? Because the smallest percentage of parents in the world have malice in their heart. Most parents that you and I know, the vast majority, are all good meaning parents. Even if 
we don't know what we're doing, even if we try and fail sometimes and try and fail and try and succeed, our intentions are good. Y'all understand that? So, so there's no, uh, the, the very small percentage of people are malice intended in their heart as parents, right? Because parents love their kids, generally speaking. So they're good meaning. Uh, they, had, they had good intentions, right? Um, the percentage of parents in the world who have immoral intentions in raising their families are very little. So I believe both of these were the same. Number four, both had access to God. Both had access to his word. So they had the word of God. They knew where the word of God was being taught and they knew how to access God. All right. Now, these are two families who knew what the Lord required of them. And here's what they knew. Deuteronomy chapter four and verse eight. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law? which I set before you this day. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. Watch this. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Now that's in the Pentateuch that they knew, that they had, that they loved, that they would quote. That's part of the context of what they would say in the Shema every single day. So they had that in common. They had this idea in common, though the text wasn't written yet. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. They knew this verse, Deuteronomy 11, verse 26. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way, which I command you this day, to go after other gods, which you have not, which you have not known. Now, have you ever met someone and thought you had a lot in common, but then after spending some time with them, realized that you're really on two different paths? And that's where we find these two families. And the surface, it seems like, oh, they're tracking together. It seems like they're, you know, they, they both know the law. They both at least heard about the Lord. They have access to God. They have access to the word of God. They're religious. But as you begin to get to know them, you see that there are a few things that they really don't have in common. The house of Eli, who was a priest, and the house of Elkana, a Levite, were on two totally different paths. So though they did have some commonalities, secondly, I want you to notice their contrasts. Their contrasts. Now, the first contrast that we notice from Scripture is their view of God, their view of worship, and the view of His Word. That's the first thing that we notice. We learned last week that Hannah honored God and had a fervent prayer life. We learned that while she had a fervent prayer life, it wasn't just a matter of praying in public. She was fully committed to raising her son for God's glory. She realized, wow, this was a gift of God. So she names Samuel, asked of God. She realized that every time she says Samuel and then his middle name, even if he was in trouble, she was reminded, wow, God gave me this son when I pray. I committed myself to God. God gave me this son and I'm going to give him right back to the Lord. She understood that. She knew how to pray. She knew how to honor God with her life. We also learned that both Hannah and her husband were committed to prayer, according to the Bible. On the other hand, Eli was so jaded in his view of worship that he thought Hannah was drunk while she was praying. He sat there in his high horse, so to speak, and looked down and saw 
this woman who the Bible says was weeping and grievous, sore before God, just pouring out her heart. And he was so jaded at the time of the judges that he said, what are you doing? Why are you drunk already this morning? Don't you have something better to do? Put away thy drink and, and get out of here. At least let the people come here, do what they're supposed to be doing. He was so jaded, he had no idea. He thought that Hannah was drunk when she was praying. He couldn't recognize, listen, commitment to God if it hit him right in the face. Now that's just facts. That's just taking the Bible and saying, look, he, why is the high priest trying to figure out whether this person is being sincere or not? Why is he trying to get the speck out of somebody's eye when he's got a stinking four by four out of his? I'm just saying. Eli was living the fat life. The Bible says literally that he was a fat, lazy man. Now, how did he get that way? By demanding that his meat was cooked his way and not God's way. By the way, wouldn't it have been great to be a priest at that time? Think about all the ribeyes you could have. <laughs> Think about all the leg of lamb, glory, sweet potatoes, all that stuff. I mean, think about how wonderful it would have been just to be provided for. And now he's getting picky. Now he wants it his way. He doesn't want to wait for the leftovers. He wants the first cut. He wants the Harris Ranch prime beef before anybody else gets it. Going here, here's living, a man living the fat life, literally going through the motions of spirituality rather than walking in the spirit like a leader. He would be one to shine the light of God's word in public, but not willing to walk in that light in private. This is just Eli. The Bible describes this kind of person as a hypocrite. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6 and verse 2. Therefore, when thou, uh, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Do you think, now just, let's just shake everything off this morning. Do you think it, I, do you think it made Eli feel good to say to Hannah, why are you drunk? Get out of here. Oh, yeah, it did. Why? Because he's the high priest. I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of how worship happens here. And here's a woman who's, deadly, uh, who's completely dedicated to God and he can't even see it. As the hypocrites do. That they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Certainly somebody was in there and heard that and said, Ooh, Hannah, she just got told. And then how good it must have felt, Eli. Jesus said it another way in Matthew 7 and verse 5, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Matthew twenty three thirteen. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These ought you have to, to, to done and not to leave the other undone. God's not saying that Eli didn't have the right to do that. But what he's saying is Eli was a hypocrite. Here is sincere worship, the judgment and the mercy and the, and the repentance that he's getting out of Hannah. And here Eli is, and he can't recognize that. Man, what was he really? Well, the Bible word for hypocrite is a mask wearer. I'm 
you're seeing one thing, but what I am underneath is a masquerade. It's totally different. Elkanah and Hannah were the real deal. Eli was a mask wearer. One family was entirely sold out to God. The other family were just renting. They weren't owners. So we see the first contrast, their view of God, their worship, their view of the word of God. Secondly, was their approach to parenting. Now I will say this, as a father of five, if I don't have the right view or paradigm of God and his word and worship, it is going to affect how I parent my children. It's going to affect how I speak to them, how I lead them, how I teach them who God is, all that I'm supposed to be by an example. If I am not worshiping God in spirit and in truth, it's going to affect my parenting. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 5 about these mask wearers, they have a form of godliness, but they don't have any power. Denying the power thereof. And Paul says to Timothy, look, if, there, if, if, if you find people like that, you need to turn away. Why? Because it's infectious. Hypocrisy is infectious. It is, it is highly contagious to be around people who think that they are what they're not and easy to fit in. The difference between Eli and Elkanah and Hannah and their family is this. They both knew how the Lord commanded them to parent their children, but only one of them did it God's way. We find in the text, we'll go here, to, here in just a moment, that Eli refused to face the fact honestly and obey God. He knew what was going on, and he refused to face it for face value and do anything about it. He refused to restrain his sons. Look at second, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 23. The Bible says that he knew what was going on. Verse 23, he said unto them, why do you these things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all these people. Nay, my sons, for it's not good. For, it's not. It's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. Verse twenty-five. If one sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Let me back up and say the father should. Amen. What he's saying is, if God deals with you, that's God's business. But I'm going to let it alone. Why? Because I'm getting ribeye every other night. The Bible will tell you at the end of the next passage when he dies that he falls over backwards and dies because he was a fat man. Now, it doesn't get any more plain than that. He's skimming off the top and he's taking advantage of the sacrifice. He refused to restrain his sons directly. And the Bible tells us in verse 29 and 30 that he honored his children more than he honored God. Now, think about that. How does a parent honor their children more than honoring God? By telling their children that they can do things even if it's against what they say they can't do. And allowing them to get away with everything that they want to do without reparation. God says, well, here's the way I want you to train your children. And then parents go, well, you know, it just seems like they're always in trouble. Guess what? Children are always in trouble. Why? Because they're selfish and they're mean and they're little devils inside. See, so how do you know that? Right now, someone's getting bit in the nursery. I know someone is doing something wrong. It's probably my kid. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, you don't have to be a parent very long before you realize how did something so beautiful become so selfish and demanding? Why is it that every time I say no, they say yes? Why can't they just come out saying, yes, Father? Right away, mother, I will have that trash taken out. I will have that bed made. I will do all of my chores and you will not see me the rest of the day. I will never back up. I will never back talk you. I will do everything that you want. Why can't they be like that? Why can't God just like 
programmed them. Do you know whose job that is? It's not God's job. It's our job. The Bible says that parents are to program them, train them up in the way they should go. Now, the fact of the matter is, here you have one family that's honoring God and then honoring God in their parenting and one family that's not only not honoring God, they're not honoring God in their parenting. It's insane. In fact, God spoke to this to the children of Israel in Malachi chapter 1. As a son honoreth his father and a servant his master, if then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a minister, where is my fear or my reverence, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name? And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? It just seems like that throughout Israel's history, even from here forward, with a few exceptions, that there's always someone in leadership who's supposed to be serving God that's not giving honor to God. They're honoring and preferring their children. Well, I know this is probably not the best thing, but let's just let him do it so that I can go and you fill in the blank. It gives me peace right now. I don't want to have to deal with this right now. Well, let me just say, you can only do that for so long and then you won't have to deal with them ever again because God will do it. And God did do it. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. And that's one thing that Eli lacked and his sons were humility. Thirdly, the, con- the contrasts include, of course, their children. Several times in the passage of Scripture, and I love how God just takes it like, like a pepper shaker, and he just puts a verse here and a, per- a verse there and a verse there about Samuel. The Bible says that Samuel grew in favor with the Lord and with men. And it says it over and over again, that he grew with favor in the Lord, that he grew in the Lord, that he grew in the Lord, as opposed to not knowing the Lord. In fact, you could say it this way, their children's contrasts were like their desires, Hophni and Phinehas were all about the flesh, and Samuel was all about the spirit. One was raised one direction, the other one was raised the other direction. The other one, you can see clearly from the verses I've already said, that's their spiritual maturity. Samuel grew. In fact, you'll be, you, you, it, would, it would really help you to understand that the Bible talks about Jesus that grew in stature and favor, both with God and man, in the same way that Samuel did. But that's a great type. That's a great example. And then if you look at their lives, their influence on others was the antithesis. For instance, Eli's son's example and his life made people hate going to church. Don't even want to give the sacrifice. I, I, why are you doing this? Why don't you do it the Lord's way? Give it to us this way or we're going to take it. Ah, honey, I know we got to go. And I just pray for me because I don't want to take the sacrifice. Hophni and Phinehas are just, they're just doing things wrong. And I know my dedication is to the Lord, but it grieves me. It makes me hate doing this because I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing in public. I know what they're doing with the meat. And I'm just going to give it. I'm just going to give it over to the Lord. I, I, but I don't want to do that anymore. How long will that take before all of a sudden they're not even going? On the other hand, the Bible says that Samuel would lead the children of Israel in revival. But talk about contrasting. One young man is going to lead people to God and the other two who were born in a priest's house who don't who say the Lord's name but they don't know him are leading people directly astray. Philippians 3 and verse 17 said brother be followers together of me and mark them which so you have for us an example for many of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction get this statement whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, 
who mind earthly things. Man, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how two families could be raised in the same church and one family raises their children to honor themselves rather than honor God. And another family raises their children to honor God first so that God will honor them. In fact, the Bible says that in verse 30, wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and thy house of thy father should walk before me forever, but now be it far from me for them that honor me, I will honor. See, I have to come to the question and say, okay, at some point I have to answer to God and say, God, do I want to honor you or do I want to honor me or my children? I have to make that decision. Who am I going to honor? And the result of that is what God does with that honor. I have to ask myself, am I lightly esteeming God? Am I tipping my hat to him? Am I, you know, giving him a nod? Am I doing him a favor by whatever? Or am I honoring him with my heart and soul? Because what's the proof in the kids? Now, here's what's crazy to me. And then we're done. What's crazy to me is Hannah at the max had five years with Samuel. That's it. Five. But she made those five years count. Eli raised Hophni and Phinehas in the house of God. And their life was a complete waste. Does that tell you anything about their family, their, their parenting? Five years, I could train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's living with a man that is spiritually out of his mind, he never departs from it. Man. Talk about powerful parenting. That's what I should have entitled the message. They were so dedicated that after five years, Samuel never left the straight and narrow. And yet here you have a family that's so hypocritical that after however many years, in fact, they couldn't even serve in the temple until after 20. Now, how many years does it take to turn out a, I don't know. All I know is that is some unbelievable contrast. So let's draw some conclusions and be done. What can we learn from this? What's, what's the, the big several pull-away truths that we take from this passage of Scripture? All right. Well, first of all, I think letter A, God holds parents accountable for the actions of their children. You just finish out this chapter, read the next chapter into when it all comes down and shakes out, and you're going to find, wow, Eli was the one. You say, how do you know that? Because God sent... An unnamed, an unnamed man of God to Eli. He said, Eli, I've trusted you with kids and you didn't do what I wanted you to do and now I'm going to take them. Contrast that with, Hannah, I've trusted you with kids and because you've given back to me, you get to keep them forever. The Bible talks about that in the last several verses of that chapter. Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That's everybody's, every parent's life verse. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, hmm. but bring them up with the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Provoke not your children to wrath. I wonder what Hophni and Phinehas' problem was. Why they would say, nay, but you will give the priest what he wants. Why were they so angry? Because of Eli. Because of Eli's lack of of honoring God with them. That's pretty heavy. Parents are held accountable to God for their decisions. Secondly, children are held accountable to God for the decisions they make once they're grown. Children. 
Now, look, the fact of the matter is, right, wrong, or indifferent, whatever, however I've raised my children, I don't get the top three back again. The original gangsters that I've raised that are all gone now, all right? Two of them have kids, my grandkids. How they raise their kids, how they live, that's, that, some of their patterns are my fault. But the decisions they make with those patterns are on them. They are going to stand before God. They're going to be loved and cared for by God. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we have given them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? You see, the great part about that is my children have to read that verse and say, yes, I can't use my father's inability to parent me as an excuse before God. Well, God, you gave me that dad, and he didn't hold up to the bar, and so now I'm going to make this decision. God says, up, stop. If you know me and I know you, you're accountable for that decision. Somebody say amen. amen. That'll help all the parents here because we all right now feel like failures. I know I do. When I read that passage, I think, man, I, I, I used to pray and think, God, please don't let my kids blow it now because it's just going to be a reflection on me. And that's where God's grace had to just come down and say, look, if, if you know that you've done something you need to confess and get right, then get right with me. But let me take care of your kids. And, and, and I don't want to carry that baggage around. By the way, you shouldn't either. If you find yourself in the seat of hypocritical decisions or honoring your children over honoring God, then ask God for forgiveness and start over today. Say, God, I want to, I'm going to stand, up. we're going to do it anyway. Every male and woman, every parent is going to stand before God and give an account of your life, what you did with access to God, what you did with access to the word of God, what you did with worship. And then what? Well, I would rather face it today than on that day. Amen. And say, Lord, I, I've not been a good parent in every way or in this way. And, and, and I, and I, I confess that I, I was, you know, you find your, you ever find yourself trying to justify yourself before the throne. And then the, the more you talk, the more you go, I'm sorry, I'm guilty. The only thing I can plead is the blood of Christ. I don't have any words because I'm standing before God. He is holy and truth. And, and, there's, and, and that's the way it'll be that day. I would much rather face it here. Say, God, I've not been a good dad. In this way, I've not been an example. I've not honored you above my children. And I want to honor you with all my heart. Why? Because then I get God's honor. And my children get God's honor. Children are accountable to God for the decisions they make. Let us see. Those decisions will be based on the parents' faithfulness to God. When you look at the lives of Elkanah and Eli, man, they are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And because they were, their kids' decisions were based on their faith. So how do you know that? What does Samuel have to go on? A childlike faith. All he knew was every year from the time he was born until the time that he was lent to Eli was that he watched the mom and dad go to the, to the tabernacle and pray. And when they went back home, when they were sitting down or rising up or walking in the way, they spoke and taught the word of God and they were bound as frontlets in their eyes and they spoke of God as if he were real, alive, and awesome. 
And after five years of that, he grew in the Lord. After five years of that, he grew in the grace of God. Amazing. Five years. You know, James Rushing, some of you may not know who that is. Dr. James Rushing was my, really my pastoral and spiritual mentor for several years when I became a pastor. And he would come and preach on the family. And man, he could preach. And he was awesome. He would say the most critical years of your children's life are from one to four. He said, after that, the concrete starts to harden. And he'd go, he would go from seven to about 10 or 11, and then 12 to 16, and then 16 and older. And he's, what he was saying is, look, if you really want to train your children, you've got to get them early. The Bible says, be times. And Samuel is proof, is he not? It's amazing. Parenting only five years, and he was a man of God for the rest of his life. The decisions will be based on the parents' faithfulness. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. What does that mean? That God's going to punish the kids for their sin? No, that just means that God sees what you put in them long far, farther down the line than you could ever. What you instill in your children are going to be instilled in their children and their children. It's amazing. Letter D, last conclusion. Every parent must choose to either honor God or honor their children. You got to choose. Let me ask you, who are you honoring more in your home? Your children or God? Who do you honor more? You know, because of pressure, let's call it a different thing, manipulation, the poochy lip, the excuses, you can only do that for so long, right? And then you start making excuses to the Lord. You see, 2 Corinthians 5 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that, he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. You see, God's plan for every family is very specific and it's very perfect because of the source. How many believe, just by show of hands, how many believe that God knows what he's talking about when it comes to raising children? Yeah, he's raised a few, right? How could we deny the fact that God has all wisdom and all knowledge and say, God, I know how to raise my son better than you do. I live with him every day. Did that sound a little ridiculous? I know how to be a better husband than you do, God. What? what are you talking about? No, you don't. I know how to be the... I know, no, you don't. God knows everything. So why don't we just let him be God? Let him be who he is. It doesn't require... By the way, God's plan for a family is perfect. And it does not include perfect parents. Isn't that crazy? By the way, aren't you thankful for that? I'm glad that, okay, man, I got this package, Matt. God sent me a letter. says, hey, here's how to have a perfect family. Check the parts list, right? Number one, perfect parents. Oh, that's another question. I can't find any of those around here. Oh, oh, by the way, number two, perfect children. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that it doesn't require perfect people? But what it does require is a perfect God. And Lord, I trust you. I want to honor you. It does require faith. 
requires love. Parents, listen to me very carefully if you have kids at home. It requires courage. It requires courage to act by faith and to live in the spirit of love. It requires prayer. It requires steadfast obedience unto God, no matter what that little whippersnapper is saying to you. No matter how cute they look when they're lying to you, no matter how cute they look when they're, can't I play for another 12 hours? My eyes are just now coming back into focus. If you give God a chance to be the Lord of your life, you'll quickly find that the most important things in your life will be abundantly blessed by God. And that blessing will go generationally. You see, you don't have to be a parent to honor God first. That's the beauty about all this. Or to be sincere in your devotion to God. Let your influence be an example of holiness. And guess what God will do? He will honor you. As I honor God, God honors me. For what? For doing his perfect will in my life. A tale of two families. Which one are we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you've given me children. And I know the many people in this room this morning can say, God, thank you for my little gifts or my big gifts. Lord, there are some people here, their kids are grown and gone. And they're still, they still represent a wonderful gift of God. Thank you for our children. For those of us that have them, thank you for our grandbabies. Now, God, there are no perfect parents in this room, but there is one perfect father in heaven. And we bow before you today and we confess, God, we're unworthy of your grace and mercy. We all would like to have some days and years back. We can't have them. So God, what we need is your mercy. We need you to help us. Help us to learn from our mistakes, to own them and confess them. And then, God, we ask for your mercy on our kids. Lord, there are some parents in this room that got saved after they raised some kids. Or at the least got serious about God after their kids were grown and gone. Now, Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom to navigate the days and hours that we have left on this earth. That we could still be an influence and a help to our kids. God, help our kids to make right decisions. Help our kids to love you more than we ever loved you. Help them to serve you. Help them to remain faithful. God, help us as parents to honor you above our children. Help us to instill that in them, that if we allow them to be honored above God, then we are living in sin. Help us, Father, as we attempt to do your will. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask Jenna just to play this morning. And I really, really genuinely want the Spirit of God to fall on this church. And I want him to be very real in your life. I really do. But you have to want that. You have to be the one that surrenders. You have to be the one that seeks his face. You have to be the one that yields to his direction. I wonder this morning, no hands raised, nothing. I I just wonder if you'll take, take what you've heard today and just let the light of God's word shine at your feet in the path before you. What path are you on? Who are you 